0: One of the many instances in all history where God in his wisdom and power overcame Satan's wicked determination to prevent God's promise to send the saving seed, Genesis 3 and 15. That saving seed that would end his power of death forever when our Lord crushed his head. He knew that. And he's been out for all of these thousands of years to do everything that he can to prevent that from happening. And while the Lord is in his personal ministry, which we're talking about, he's doing that again. As far as that's concerned, he's continuing even on since this, last, uh, this next 2,000 years. He's busy. He's busy with you and me seeking us to take us back into the world and lose our souls. Because what he's actually trying to do is to mock God. To make then God look foolish that God has given a law and he has a way in such that his own people can't keep it. And God is determined that he's going to then foul Satan and show the world in his wisdom that Satan is in error. God's wisdom is awesome in the ways that he has prevented Satan from defeating his promise to send the promised seed to save the world. In that day, we'll go back for a moment and check a couple of them or just talk about him. In that day when the great Pharaoh of Egypt ordered the death of all the male children in Israel. You can read about it in Exodus. The Almighty in his infinite wisdom, listen at this. Arranged for the king to rear a Jewish lad in his own family and in the care of his mother to deliver Israel from bondage. You're talking about infinite wisdom. There it is. He's not only done it on that occasion, but several other occasions. Again, again, listen at this. You're well aware of it, but we need to be remembered, as Peter said. Every once in a while, I call your attention to remember this. Again in the day of the darkest night of Israel, when the powerful pagan king Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed Jerusalem, the temple of God, the altar of atonement for sin, and had incarcerated the family seat in hopeless confinement. Look how the wisdom of God destroyed it all. He just simply raised up another pagan king, Cyrus, to defeat the pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, and sent his people back home. It looked hopeless. It looked hopeless to Ezekiel. Ezekiel looked at the people when they were in bondage and said, Lord, it's a hopeless cemetery. What are we going to do? God says, preach to them. And he preached to them, and as he began to preach to them, you know the story, one bone came to another until it stood up again, a mighty army for God. So God can take the very dregs of the book uh, of the bucket that Satan offers us and turn it into an overflowing fountain. I've learned that to be true in my many years of preaching. While several other instances could be mentioned in all history, tonight we will see again how the evil powers who are seeking to defeat uh, the seed's word and beaten or beaten again by the wisdom of God in Matthew the 13th chapter Jesus here begins using the parable a method of communication whereby the kingdom of heaven can be taught to the pure in heart in his mixed audience while at the same time screening it from the non-spiritual minded among them with impure hearts Who are seeking to destroy his ministry. You'd think that's a great problem. God says, talk to them in parables. That'll do it. And So that's why we have us in Matthew 13. So in chapter 13, Matthew demonstrates a conspicuous change in Jesus' ministry. Prior to Matthew 12, where the Pharisees accused him of just being a tool for Satan, Jesus taught openly to mix crowds in the same forthright way. But now, knowing the utter futility of reaching those who are diverting or seeking to divert his word from honest hearts, he makes this radical change in his method of teaching. And he began teaching using down-to-earth stories of everyday events in people's lives, known as parables. These earthly stories, uh, spiritual meanings, could be explained to those who have spiritual minds who are seeking the truth while appearing as just harmless stories to those blinded to their spiritual meanings. And that remains true today. Some people, you can show them a text in the Bible. They quickly understand it and say, that's right. That's the word of God. And other people say, I don't believe it that way. So you still have the mixed-minded. Those who sought Jesus' death would be hard-pressed to find a capital charge. You see, they were seeking to put him to death. They'd be hard-pressed to find a capital charge in such homish stories. They were looking for legal technicalities. Now Matthew in one brief arrangement in chapter 13 records Jesus outlining the entire history of the kingdom of God from the beginning to the day of judgment. And then he underscores it with this. For those who have ears to hear, let them hear. For those who have eyes to see, let them see. So let's look at chapter 13 and see this remarkable arrangement of the kingdom's historic developments by this inspired ex-tax collector. This is Matthew 13, the parable that Jesus uses, Jesus' method for teaching in a divided audience. Some of them are friendly, some of them are hostile. So now here is the parable that he's going to use. And what is a parable anyway? A parable comes from the Greek word parabolus," which simply means to cast down or throw down beside. That's why I have the three little lines up there that you can see. Those are parallel lines. And so when Jesus was teaching the truth, he'd take some wonderful story about the kingdom that they, everybody needed to be saved... And teach it in such a way that these legalistic minded doctrines of the law out here couldn't understand it. It worked perfectly. So the parable then is to place an earthly story down beside a heavenly one. To convey the heavenly meaning to those desiring to learn. The wisdom of God made it difficult to find some capital charge. And such mundane stories. And you see on that bottom line there, this would extend Jesus' time for instruction. Reading the book of John just for a moment, looking over there, John kept saying in the early ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus kept saying, My time is not yet, my hour is not yet come. And as you read on through closer to the end of the last week of Jesus' life, he said, My hour has come. At this time of the parables and this early harassment by these people, his time had not come. So what he's actually doing by using these stories in such a way, he's buying time. The disciples need some extra instruction. In fact, they needed extra instruction after he was dead. And so he met with them again. And I read Acts, the first chapter, to teach him even after the resurrection. But they needed some critical information here now that we'll see a little bit later on, maybe not tonight. And so then Jesus, in a sense, was buying then some extra time. Jesus' reason for parables is to teach the teachable and diffuse the hostility of the unteachable. He probably couldn't diffuse the hostility, but he could do it in such a way they could do no more harm at right the moment. He says here in Matthew 13, 11 through 13, to you, and I want us to see tonight these parables were written. They're very important for us here tonight. Of course, all the Bible is, but this is our lesson. These parables are written for all people of all time, of all ages. Somewhere in these parables as we go through them, you and I are in them. And it pays us in our study to see which of these am I in as we go along. So he says here, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. It's a mentality. These people that were objecting to him were religious I have found in my preaching ministry of many years and through all of my studies, and you know the same thing is true, some of the most hostile things against genuine Christianity has been religion. And so it was here even in the very beginning when he's laying the foundation of the kingdom. And he says, to you it's given because of the frame of mind. Some people are open to spiritual teaching and some people don't want it that way. They're not going to have it that way. And he says, but to them it is not given. Different frame of mind altogether. Uh, God forbid that it may be here the same way tonight. It's, it is in the world and it is all around. He says, here for to the one who has, more will be given. If you have the frame of mind where you love the Lord and you love his words, you love his church and you put the kingdom first and you're going to study, you're going to open your Bible, you're going to give your heart to these treasures, it's going to open to you and you're going to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as Peter said. For to the one who has, more will be given. I've seen people, members of the church for years. And they're, as the Hebrew writer said to those people that he was writing to, they're, they're still Christian. They're still on the edge of the baptistry. They hardly ever open the Bible. Probably don't even open the, have a Bible unless they show it to somebody sometime. I don't know. But for the one who has, more will be given. And look at the rest. He shall have an abundance. You'll grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see that passage I have there, John 10, 10, where Jesus says, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That is, rather than just a casual knowledge or shallow knowledge, if you'll study the life of Jesus Christ... The coming of the seed of God from Genesis 3.15. To die for the sins of the world. To be resurrected upon then the first day of the week. Whereby Christians come together to observe the Lord's Supper. You'll know why more will be given. Because God blesses those who give themselves to the work of God. But from the one who has not. Even what he has will be taken away from him. Somebody can have a little smidgen about the church because they've probably visited or something or maybe they've read a few things about the Bible uh, in various places and they have a little smidgen of knowledge, so to speak. But if he develops a frame of mind where he begins to resist it, even what little he has will be taken away from him. He won't just hate this passage or that passage. He'll finally reject the whole thing. This is why he says, I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see. I don't know how many people say, I've been teaching for, I'd say a hundred years. It's almost, I've been teaching a long time. But I don't know how many people I've taught, open the Bible and turn around and just let them read the scripture and they say, I don't see it that way. Some people don't. They have had a lot of help not to see it that way. Because seeing they do not see. You can show them, but it doesn't work. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. It's all a frame of mind. It's all, I guess you could boil it down to self, me, myself. Forgetting it, Jeremiah said, it is not in man that walks to direct his own step. They wouldn't pay any attention to that at all. Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives an overall survey of church history in seven brief parables in chapter 13. He starts out here with a sower, 13, 1 through 23. We're not going to talk about them right now in detail, but we're just going to mention them, then we'll go into them. But there's the sword, the beginning, <clears throat> the way it is to begin. Then there's the enemy's tares in 13, 24 to 30. That's what happens in the kingdom after it's planted, after it starts. And then there's the mustard seed. Despite all of the harassment, all of the tares that are trying to take the kingdom of God apart, it will grow anyway. It will start from the very beginning in a small way. But Jesus Christ said it will grow into a bush and the birds of the air will come from everywhere and lighten its branches. He wasn't talking about birds there. He was talking about the Great Commission where he said, teach all nations. That's what he was talking about in Isaiah 2, where he's going to be to all nations. And so then the mustard seed is, in spite of all of the harassment, it will grow. This is going to grow like leaven next, 1333-43. That's how it will grow. It's not going to grow by military might. It's not going to grow by outward great energy, physically speaking. It's going to grow by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that comes to Christians when they've been baptized into Christ and they've been taught what they're doing and they repent of their sins and they confess Christ. So the leaven begins to work. It begins to work because they are filled with joy inside of finding this treasure. We'll see this in this treasure in a minute. They're filled with this joy, and they have to share it. They have to share it with other people. And so this leaven, then... It's not the kingdom of the Old Testament that tried to expand itself militarily and so on. It's through the joy and the cheer and the knowledge of my salvation. I'm on my way to heaven. I've got to share this with you. And it's the Holy Spirit that you received when you were baptized that's urging you on in this great joy. And the next one's the hidden treasure. I said I wasn't going to talk about them much here because I'm going to talk about them again in a minute. But there's the hidden treasure. When it begins then to be spread in the kingdom, there's going to be this old boy that uh, he's just going about his everyday business. And in this little story here, he's out here digging in the garden someplace, a piece of ground, and all of a sudden he digs up a treasure. Back in those days, they didn't have uh, wells for or whatever. Back in those days, the people took, if they had some money and some treasure, they'd take it out and hide it. They'd dig a hole somewhere and put it in it. The idea was that if a person came along, then that treasure belonged in that ground. If he went and bought the ground, he had the treasure. And that's what this fellow did. The whole idea is that the joy of finding this wonderful treasure, the kingdom of heaven, is worth going and Purchasing whatever it takes to become a Christian in the kingdom or citizen in the kingdom of our Lord. The next one is close to it. Although this one in 1344, he sort of stumbled upon it. A lot of people stumble upon the truth today. In fact, I I think going back, I could name a few. And nevertheless, this next fellow, he was a connoisseur of treasure. He was a connoisseur of great pearls. He had spent his life picking these pearls up and put them in his purse or whatever. And he was on the search one day, where can I really find a great pearl? And he came upon this pearl of great price. He said, here, I have a bag of pearls. I've collected these all of my life. You take them. I want that one pearl. The pearl of great price. What he's trying to tell us here is that when you learn the truth of the kingdom of God, you see that it's such exquisite treasure that it's worth anything that you have to give up for it. How many really of us really come to that kind of knowledge? We're we're struggling for it, but have we really? And then finally in the last one, there's the fishnet. 1347 through 50, which is simply the outcome of the growth of the kingdom through the years, through the centuries. It's going to eventually come to the time when God is is going to judge the world through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's going to look down at all of these people that are gathered in the church. Because you see, you can assemble with the church and not be a Christian. You can assemble with the church and be one of these fish that have to be thrown out and you're another one of fish that you keep. So this dragnet net was cast out here at the end of the end of the kingdom's history, and he said he threw away some of these fish. They were rejected. And if you want to know how they were rejected, we're not going to take the time tonight, but if you really don't want to know you could go to Matthew the twenty-fifth chapter. He gives quite a list there of who will be rejected and who then will hear Enter in to the joys prepared for you. Let's pray to God that we're not just church members, but we are Christians who've been added to the church and have this joy and place the kingdom first in our life because we're looking forward to that great gathering one of these days when he looks down at this net and says, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. I'm not sure I'm on the same, same one. i got to go. Now we're right. Parable 1. We've already called attention to this sore. And I, I said I was just going to mention them and go on because I was going to get to them in a minute. So I may have to run through some of these rather really quick because I'll be repeating myself. But in 13.3, the seed is God's word that begins the kingdom. It's not a creed by some man. It's not opinion by someone. But Luke eight eleven spells it out. The word or the seed is the word of God. If we come together at any service of the Lord's church, at any time, Wednesday night or Lord's day, and we serve anything to those who are gathered except the word of God, the seat of the kingdom, we are wasting our time. We may build a big crowd, but we're wasting our time. Those who fear here now, we're going to see, fall into six types. There's the non-productive type when they hear the word of God. He lists them here as three, the wayside, the stony, and the thorns, which are attitudes of heart. And then there's the three productive. The hundredfold. The sixtyfold. And the thirtyfold. All souls. I think I mentioned this at the start. All souls from the first gospel sermon preached. Till the Lord returns. Are in one of these. Six categories. The non-productive. Or the productive. Let's look at the wayside for a moment. Those totally non productive. Matthew thirteen, nineteen When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understands it not, that doesn't mean that God's written a Bible that nobody can understand. Remember here we're dealing with the spiritual and the non-spiritual minded people. The people who want the truth will find the truth. Search and you'll find it, he says. If you're hungry and you're fed the word of God, you'll say thank you, Lord. But anyway, when one heareth the word of the Lord and understand it not, then cometh the wicked one. My mom used to say, an absent mind is a devil's workshop. So if you're not too concerned about God's word and you're being entertained by the world, the devil then comes and finds a place that's seven times more wicked, as we read in another place, than it originally was. That means simply that the heart is hardened. Then cometh the wicked one. That's the day of temptation. When does the wicked one come? He knows where you're weak. He knows your greatest weakness. And one moment, unsuspecting, he comes in a temptation and he hits you below the belt and he knocks the wind out of you. And if you haven't been a faithful Christian coming to church, dining upon the Lord's Supper, studying the Word of God, you're a sitting duck. For that day when the wicked one comes and snatches the word away from you. Those who hear the word accidentally, unconcernedly, who have no pursuing interest, those are the wayside. You see, these sort of received it accidentally because the seed was being sown in the good ground or searching for good ground. Uh, We used to sow seed, I don't know where some of you did or not, but I remember my dad years ago had a little sack and the seed was in the sack and you always walk and you put a handful of seed and you cast it with the wind, throw it with the wind as you went. And when you did that and you got over to the close edge of the field that you were sowing, you couldn't keep from it. Some of the seed would fall over on the what we call the turner or the the weed bed out there that you didn't cultivate. Well, maybe a one or two might sprout up, but they'd immediately die. But you, that kind of seed here is not concerned with the truth. This is which receive the seed by the wayside. Those who hear the word, accidentally, unconcernedly. Who have no pursuing interest. With no love for the truth, they are pushovers for their own opinions or for false teachers of error. And of course, that's what we're going to see about the tares. The rocky soil. The rocky soil sprouts, but it can't make it through the rock, it has no root it's the super it's, notice this I think I've seen a lot of these it's the superficial momentary enthusiast he gets caught up there, everybody's going to the gospel meeting they're going to eat after the church and they all get to going and you had him out for supper and now he comes and he's excited about it the gospel is preached and he says I am on in on this and he's baptized I've seen that happen and then you don't see him anymore they're out and they're gone So the response is superficial. He has no root in himself. It says here he doeth for a little while, but when the tribulation of persecution arises because of the word, by and by, he's offended. He says, I don't want that anymore. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation of persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. It doesn't take that much for some people. It can just come along to where it's not convenient. I'd rather sleep. I'd rather do what I want to do. And he has no rooted himself. No real love for the truth. Then there's the soul that's hospitable to thorns. These are the people that they've even learned the truth, at least the first principles of truth, but they have divided interest. They can't get into church and seek it first. They can't be their life. They have too many other things. Those who have divided interest, little for the church and a little for the world. If I feel like it, I'll go to church, but if something comes along, it might be something I really love in the world. I'm out and gone. Matthew 13, He also received seed among the thorns as he that heareth the word and the cares of this world. The cares of this world are different. The cares of the world that would lure you wouldn't lure me maybe. But the cares of the world that wouldn't lure you would lure me. The cares of the world then come in individual doses whereby it's presented to us in the way that Satan wants to serve and cause us then to be lost. In a tight, other interest comes first. Know anybody like that, the Lord's search. That in a tight, they're gone. Where were you yesterday? You know, if you push it too much, it offends them. In a tight, other interests come first. John says in 1 John 2 and verse 15. You can't get any plainer than this. Love not the world. All that means is don't put the world first. Don't prefer the world before the kingdom of God. Neither the things that are in the world. We're going to show one or two of these in a minute. One man preferred a piece of ground, you know. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, if it comes first with him, the love of the Father is not first with him. The love of the Father is not in him. He just can't put the kingdom, he can't put the church first. He's got too much lead in his life to hold him down. Jesus gave examples. This is what I mentioned a minute ago. And you can find these in Luke 14, but sometimes we have to go outside of Matthew to get to embrace the point. Luke 14, he gives three examples. Here was an old boy, the Lord said, Follow me. He said, Sorry, I bought a piece of ground. I got to go look at it. But some people that I, I used to preach for several years, help preach out at Redland Road. And I drove all those, what, 14 miles out there. And I'd see people out working their yard. I'd see them out plowing their tractor, uh, all these kind of things. God's kingdom and the Lord's church and salvation and eternal life were far away because can't do it. I found a piece of ground. i got to go see about it. And then there's another one. I think I have there a new tractor. <laughs> well, the boy in the story here wasn't a tractor. It was a yoke of oxen. But that was his day. He used a yoke of oxen, go out and plow the land or so on. But there's people today. In fact, as I was telling you on the way to Redland Road, there was one fellow out there all the time, but nearly every Sunday on his tractor out there, we just going. I had a pretty tractor, it was, it was really nice. But I bought a yoke of oxen, I cannot. I, I bought a new tractor, a new team of horses, maybe whatever. I guess can't do it. And then this other old boy, he didn't even make an excuse. He said, I got married. I got married and I can't go. So then there is the marital problem. I don't know anything over the years that's helped more to to live the Christian life or hurt more. In the Christian life. Then a good marriage. In the Lord's church and kingdom. Or a bad marriage. A divided home. It's pitiful to see a divided home. When one is trying their best to be a good Christian. And the other is not cooperating in any way. Be careful when you get married. Because that certainly is a great problem. Matthew 19, 24, Jesus said regarding these things, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. I think that's simply a hyperbole. Jesus is using parables here. Sometimes he uses hyperbole. John used a hyperbole, the last verse in in his book. A hyperbole is a great exaggerated overstatement to get you to see the point that he has in hand and Jesus says here if you want to know about riches and the kingdom of heaven and people loving their new fancy stuff if that's what really is in their heart and then it comes first it's easier to drag a camel to a needle's eye than help that person go to heaven Then he gives an illustration, Luke the 18th chapter and verse 23. Again, I go outside because it's a good illustration. And that's where this excited young man that had been keeping all the commandments, he's a good fellow. He kept the commands of God. The Lord is the only one that can do this. But the Lord could look down in his heart and even though he kept all the commands of God, the Lord knew where he was weak he said and I think maybe this is it I've heard some people say well this is the call for the 13th disciple but anyway if it was he said come and follow me what would you have what, I, I, keep the commandments well I've been doing that since I was a kid okay go sell what you got and come and follow me and the Bible says this very very religious person became sorrowful turned around and walked away couldn't do it beloved I want to close on this point there are people that are religious minded today that are keeping in their way the commandments of God and they're trying to be a good person but there's a a point of truth that can be pointed out in the Bible and they said, no, not that. Can't go that far. Jesus knows who that person is. And the Bible says when he went away, Jesus was even sad himself and sorrowful. And I'm sure that God is sad tonight. If anybody. But hear the word of truth. And really love the Bible. And be religious. Up to a point. But draw the line on God. That far no more hope no one's here tonight. God help us to each Wednesday night to have a good study in these. I didn't get through the parables. I wanted to, but we'll take up where we left off. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for this time of coming together to spend in thy presence and in the study of thy word. Help us to open our hearts to the truth and help us then to grow thereby that we might be profitable citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Help us to put you first. Help us, Holy Father, in all of our weaknesses, and you know what they are, to be with us when we're tempted so that we can overcome. Pardon us of our sins. Bless these people on the way home. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it.